Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. The Lord is gracious and merciful, and through all the snow, I made it in time. (laughs) And I have the awesome privilege of being able to read the scripture for you this morning. The passage is found in Galatians 5, and it's verses 13 through 26. And the the title for the passage is called Life by the Spirit. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is God's Word. How's everybody doing? Good morning. Who, who came the furthest this morning on this epic? Just, okay, just shout out where you came from. Back row seems to think. Oh. Do you have winter tires? Anybody not have winter tires? Few of you diehards, eh? I borrowed my father-in-law's car this morning. He doesn't have winter tires. It was like Tokyo Drift. It was nuts. But hey, so glad you're here. And Alliston, bravo. Someone should buy you lunch because I wouldn't want to head back in this weather. Uh, my name is Mark, if we haven't met yet. And uh, as, as Tony said, we are in the series called Beyond Belief. Does anyone know what part number we're in? Ooh, one. all right, one person knew. That's always a keener in a crowd. All right, well, uh, as we're getting started, one of the things uh, kind of stood out to me a few weeks ago, uh, if you're any pastors in the room, I don't know, but this is an interesting thing that only happens when you're a pastor. You basically start talking about God when you meet someone new in the first like 30 seconds of your conversation. It's guaranteed. Not because I choose to. In fact, I kind of want to delay a little bit because, you know, it's kind of the world I live in. So if I can just like, hey, how you doing? And not have to go there right away. Cool. But it's just like, it's like, you know, hey, I'm Mark. And then what's the next question people ask? 
what, what do you do, right? So I'm like, I'm a pastor. And then it just blows up. It's like, <gasps> right? Like, are you old enough? Can you even grow facial hair? Like, what, aren't, is that a wedding ring? Can you have sex, right? Like, it's just like, like, what, like it's just like all these questions. That are like, like, what does it mean? And, and do, okay, but like, what do you actually do? Like, I asked you what you do, and that's a title, but like, do pastors do anything besides the, the hour on Sunday, right? So it's just, it's always fun, always fun. And so a couple weeks ago, I think I was sharing this with you. I, I was chatting with my dishwasher repairman. And, uh, and so he's like, so what do you do? And so I'm a pastor, like, oh, right? He's like, that's so fascinating, right? Like, who pays you to do that? And so just conversation keeps going, keeps going. And he kind of gets to places like, you know, I, I grew up going to church, and I like the stuff of Jesus, but I'm not really religious because I just, I don't see the point. And, you know, we just kept dialoguing, dialoguing. It was obvious, like, he just has a view of the world that's pretty accurate. It's a mess. He's like, I just... I just don't see it helping. He's like, what's God doing and what's God done to kind of help the world? I'm like, well, he sent Jesus. And he's like, well, that was like 2,000 years ago. And he's kind of saying like, like so when's that going to kick in? You know, it's been 2,000 years. You think we would have figured it out by now, but it's not there. And what he was kind of saying was, listen, listen, I don't care what you believe. I want something that works. Which isn't that true, right? And isn't that the whole point of this series? It's not just what we believe, but how in the end those beliefs translate into life transforming effects. And he basically was saying, what is God going to do about the mess of the world out there? And if we're honest, the mess of the world in here, the mess of the world that we experience every single day. That's the big question for today. What is God going to do with the mess in our world? And, you know, if we're honest, and I, you know, I just kind of dialogued with him a little bit more, and I just, you just kind of discover this as you talk with people and you ask them questions. I just, I just, I, I talk less and just ask a lot of questions when I'm dialoguing with people who don't know Jesus. And it's just fascinating because you just get to know so much about them. It's just kind of what Jesus modeled. He asked lots of questions and then, you know, kind of spoke. And so, you know, one of the things that just kind of, as I ask questions, is most people have this equation in their head. They would never say it, like, I have this equation going on. But the equation kind of goes like this, okay? They're kind of like, well, good God loving God, all-powerful God, should not equal a mess in the world. That if he's good, if he's loving, if he's all-powerful, the mess should be taken care of. Now, the equation in some ways is right, but in other ways, I'm kind of like, oh, it kind of assumes that you know how God operates, which the interesting thing is when you open up the scriptures, the, the, the Bible, I love reading it because it's so cool because it tells us so much about God, but it kind of bumps up against you sometimes, doesn't it, right? Because you're like, this is how the world works. And then you kind of open the Bible, it's like, actually, no, it's kind of like this, right? And so we kind of do that equation, good God, loving God, all-powerful God should clean the mess. What we're kind of saying is, is God is, is a genie. And if he's all-powerful, poof, abracadabra, you know, three waves of the wand, and it should all be good. But when you open up the scriptures, you don't find a genie. You don't find some guy you call in when there's a big mess. You don't call a closer in to finish the deal. The, the image and the language that is used of God is Father. That over and over and over again, the scriptures describe God as Father, which is so insightful when we're asking the question, what's he going to do with the mess of the world? And it's so, it's so helpful for me because... I'm a dad. Uh, have a, I'm sure you have a son. In fact, we have another kid on the way. Hey, hey. Yeah, I did my part. So anyways, uh, so, so we have another kid on the way. So being a father, I don't, I, like I've been a father less than two years and I feel like I'm failing. Like I just, every day I'm just like, how, what do, how do you do this? And so one of the things that's been really testing my patience is my kid, like he's, he's, he's starting to speak now, but we taught him baby sign language. Anyone baby sign language people? Yeah, a few, few of you, okay. Okay, so, so one of the things is all done. When the kid's all done, what's all done? Show me all done. Look at, oh, maybe that's why we screwed up. Yeah, I thought it was like this. Okay, anyways, that's, 
That's what all done is in our home, right? So my kid picked up on it. I, I start singing him a lullaby. He's like, everything is just, uh, bath is over. Right? He, just, he just knows, rubs his hands, all done. But for some reason, he won't do it at the dinner table. In fact, we're sitting at our breakfast bar every meal, and we like we sit on both sides of him. We like we, we like flank him, and he's there with his bowl. And then it's like the moment he's all done, he's like a Jedi. Like we cannot like we have like a 10% recovery rate. Okay, he's just there eating. And the moment he's done, boom, just throws the bowl. Okay, it could be passed out. We have white curtains. We are not smart people. Okay, white curtains, passed. It looks like a murder scene in our house. It's just it's everywhere. Right? I don't know why we try to have nice things. Okay, so he just he just kind of does that, and we're like, no. Right? And then like that's remember we talked about sinful nature. Like gut reaction just comes out, right? And just like, you just, <gasps> you just yell. And it's like, oh, no, I shouldn't yell. And you just kind of have this moment where I'm like, what am I going to do? And so what I want to do, okay, not a great father in this moment, is I want to just be like, okay, stay there, right? Look at the mess you made. And then kind of just like leave him out of it, clean up the mess, and then free him from the chair, right? Because it keeps it captive. My wife's been so awesome. She's like, no, no, you know what good parents do? <laughs> Don't you love it when your spouse says something like that to you? She's like, they enter the mess with their child. Uh-oh, Grayson. That's not good. Mommy and daddy don't want that, but you don't want that either because now there's, there's food everywhere and it's a mess and you're going to step in it. Your socks are going to get wet. Nobody likes wet socks. And so let's clean it up together. Let me tell you, it is way easier to just clean it yourself. But a good father steps into the mess with their child and cleans it up with them that gives them enough dignity to treat them like a human being and say, you can be part of the solution. And when we kind of make equations and we say, well, if God hasn't come and just fixed the mess, he's not real. It's just like, no, 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 no. He said he's a father. And that's why the incarnation is so beautiful when Vijay talked about it. God steps into our world. He takes on human flesh. He steps into the mess. He steps into the pain. And he joins us in it. What's God doing about the mess of the world? He sent his son in the flesh to be with us as a good father. Always does. But it doesn't end there. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus is with his disciples. He's teaching them how to live and how the father taught them. But then he kind of tells them, he's like, guys, I'm not the end. You know, so often we're like, well, if only Jesus was here because he was a great teacher and he did amazing things, but now he's gone. And for the last 2,000 years, we've been all alone. He's like, no, 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 no. It's not like I forgot and left and left you all behind by accident. It was part of the plan. In fact, when you open up the scriptures, if, if you want to turn really quickly or you don't have to because it's not the main passage for today, John 14, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and he's kind of warning them. He's like, hey guys, I'm not going to be here forever with you because that's not the plan. This is just the beginning of it. And he says this, he says, very truly, John 14, 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You leave us for like five minutes and we screw things up, okay? We pray the wrong way. We try and like, like Jesus, we're your disciples, but we're not that good. You're leaving us and you think that we're somehow going to do greater things? That doesn't seem like it's going to deal with the mess of the world. We like having you here. You deal with the mess. You leave us. We're going to make a bigger mess of it. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm going to leave, but you're going to do greater things. But I wasn't done my explanation, so can you let me finish, please? Okay, right? That's, right? That's just what I pictured Jesus like. Okay. Anyways, let's, I will ask the Father. It's cool, right? Jesus talking with his heavenly Father. They're, they're one God, but multiple persons. Trinity, got to listen to that one. VJ did a great job, right? It says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate 
to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. In, in the Greek, another, there's two different words you could use for another. There's, there's heteros and there's alos. Heteros is different. That's where we get heterosexual relationship, right? Things that are different. Alos, same. It's alos. He's saying, I'm going to send you the same being, say, the same person, the same, like it's God, but it's different in a little way, but it's of the same thing. He's saying, I'm going to send you the other member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. It's God, but it's in spirit. There's God the Father, God overall, Jesus the Son, God here on earth, and Jesus, God the Spirit, and he's in every single one of us. As he's saying, he's like, I'm going to send my spirit to you, third member of the Trinity, to help. And then it gets kind of kind of weird. You know, I, I just kind of sympathize with the disciples. He's like, the world cannot accept him, talking about the spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Okay, if I'm a disciple, I'll be like, hang on, hang, hang on, Jesus. So you're leaving us and the mess of the world. You're leaving that in our hands because somehow we're going to do better. And you're sending us an invisible friend to help. Like that, that's, that's pretty much what you're saying. Did we get that right? You're sending an invisible friend to help, but it's your spirit. Yeah, did we get that right? Just, no, it's not. I'm sending my spirit, the spirit of God, to be with those who believe in me. When you open up the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, whenever the Spirit of God is talked about, there's so many word pictures, but one of them is the breath of life. God breathes the whole world, comes into existence. He said, that same breath of life I'm sending to you. You're worried because you're going to be alone. You're not going to be alone. The thing that makes us alive is going to be sent to each and every one of my followers. God's invisible power is described as wind. You can't see it, but you feel it. He said, that is what is coming upon you. You kind of just get the vibe that it's like, I, I don't know how excited they were. You know, they kept asking more questions and later on they still don't quite get it. But what, what, the bottom line is that I'm giving you the power and presence of my heavenly father and it's going to be coming for every single one of you. That's the answer to the mess of this world. And then you fast forward a little bit. Jesus, you know, raises from the dead, and then he's talking to the disciples. He's like, remember, I'm leaving. And they're like, don't go, don't go. He's like, no, no, but I'm sending my helper. I'm sending the advocate, so just wait and pray. And so, of course, they do exactly. It's just, it's just, they just pray and pray. And it's over a week, like 10 days. And finally, if you know the story, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes with power. If you ever Acts chapter 2, you got to just read it. There's just so much amazing stuff that happens. People are given supernatural abilities to do things. And then on top of that, because we always focus on the supernatural abilities, there's just life transformation. I mean, fast forward through Acts chapter 2, go to the end, there's like dinner time. Just read dinner time. Read who's present at the table. All of a sudden you realize not only do they have power to do things, but internally they're being transformed and they're having dinner with people that they would never even look at before that all of a sudden there's an incredible life transformation, that the mess inside of us is all of a sudden being taken care of. And you kind of think, okay, well, that was really nice, and that was 2,000 years ago, but the thing that is incredibly evident in the New Testament is from that point on, the Holy Spirit becomes the main character. He's mentioned over 250 times after that. And the thing that is very clear is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just come specially to nice people or to, you know, people who've done certain things, but it's actually very clear because people are constantly asking, how do we get this Spirit in us? How do we get the presence and power of Jesus in us? It's the question we probably ask all the time. How do I, how do I get that? How do I hear from God? How do I experience His power in my life? And the answer is very simple. Acts chapter 2, 38, Ephesians 1, 13 says it's simply when you turn from the life you've been living and you put your trust in Jesus or you believe in him. 
we receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's a seal guaranteeing our inheritance. There's all this language of saying, the moment you became a follower of Jesus, the moment you chose to trust in him, the Holy Spirit was given to you. To which you kind of hear that and you're like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't feel like I hear from him. I don't feel like I experience his power. Welcome to the club. That's probably the thing I hear most from Christians today. My hope is that we'll change that a little bit. But more than that, we'll change your desire for it. Because if we're honest, the Holy Spirit sounds kind of weird, right? This, you know, this idea of this power and presence inside of us, like, oh, I don't know. Today, my, my hope in the passage that we're going to read is that you simply live here saying, I so desperately want and need the power and presence of Jesus in my life. You up for that? All right. Oh, a little interaction. That's nice up a room. Oh. So, uh, with that said, would you turn to Galatians chapter 5? And uh, it's a short little book, and uh, so you may need the uh, index. In, is it called an index? No, it's a ta table of contents. Feel free. Uh, or just flip there on your device. And uh, basically, we're jumping in in the middle of a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It's written to a bunch of churches in a place called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Okay, it was just written to encourage them in the same way that kind of churches, you know, start believing things and half-truths and start, you know, getting things twisted. Paul is constantly writing to churches and reminding them, here's what we believe and here are the things going on in your culture. Let me speak to them and on and on and on it goes, okay? And, uh, and it's really cool because he's basically saying, here's what we believe, but let's go beyond just what we believe. Let's see how this impacts our lives on a daily basis. The same thing we're doing in this series is the same thing Paul's doing in Galatians. So Galatians chapter 5. And Paul is kind of addressing this idea of the mess. The same feeling that my dishwasher has. My dishwasher, my dishwasher, my dishwasher doesn't have feelings. My dishwasher repairman has this idea of what's going to happen with this mess. It's kind of this idea of what Paul is addressing here. It's so cool. Thousands of years old and yet so applicable to us today. And Paul is ultimately saying, he's like, listen, listen, listen. Rules won't make us better. Only the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the big idea for today, but I'll unpack it for you. This is kind of his making of the case for that. You, my brothers and sisters, verse 13, 513. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Jesus sets us free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh or the, the sinful nature. Those terms are kind of, they go back and forth. So don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. For, rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul's saying something we already know, okay? He's like, listen, just because you're free doesn't mean you should do whatever you want because there are things that you can take part of that take away your freedom. You see that in relationships, you see that in addictions. There are things that you can do freely, but ultimately they take away your freedom, don't you? And they don't make you feel free, they make you feel enslaved. So Paul is saying, listen, listen, don't just use your freedom to do whatever you want and to indulge every desire that you have. He said, in fact, I want you to do the opposite. I want you to serve one another, okay? What he's saying is, is really interesting. He's saying, don't just do whatever you feel like doing, whatever your heart seems to tell you, whatever makes you happy, even though we say that all the time. He says, serve people. Which is interesting because we don't really believe that in our culture. They didn't believe it back then either, right? Because we say, no, 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 do what's best for you. Do you, you know, Drake, I think, said that. I'm doing me. Oh, no. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's just this idea of it's just like, it's just you just do you. I'm going to do me. That's the way we go forward. That's the way of life, okay? And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Because when you do that, you never serve people, right? You have a night off. The kids are asleep. It's like, ah, I got, I got some free time finally. It's like, what can I do to serve my wife? Yeah, I got some free time, like, oh, I don't need to take lunch today. Maybe I'll just skip lunch and help my boss. This like, when you do what you want to do, when you're trying to serve you, you don't serve other people. Paul's just saying, so I, I want you to lean towards serving people. And then he continues, because basically saying serving self and serving others are complete opposites. For the entire law is filled, fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Paul's saying, listen, listen, listen. We all agree that we should love each other. In fact, go and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he kind of uses this animal language, right? He's like, otherwise, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. It's like, Paul, why are you using this vicious language? Like, when was the last time you're like, oh, I just got this problem. I bite and devour people, right? It's like, we, 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 you got to see somebody about that issue. Like, nobody does that. Like, is that what they were doing back then? Like, was that a thing, biting and devour? Paul's just creating this mental image. He's not saying this is what you actually do. He's kind of creating a diagnostic on culture. Here's what he's saying. We talk about love. We agree you should love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. We teach our kids that, you know, and on and on and on. He's like, but ultimately, he's like, we say that, but the opposite is biting and devouring each other. We're just consuming other people for our own needs. If we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, if we don't go with a posture of serving the other person above ourselves, then the only other option is consuming other people for our own desires. We can't serve ourselves and we can't serve others at the exact same time. Paul's saying there's no middle ground. It's not, I'm not perfect, but I do as good as I can. Paul's like, no, 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 there's no middle ground. Either you serve sacrificially or you devour people. And it's really, he's right. It's what we do. It's like, if I don't want something from you, for you, I want something from you. Paul's just like, there's no middle ground. Either sacrificial love or a using, consuming, biting, and devouring kind of relationship that we have with other people that we consume people to get something out of it. That's why, you ever heard that saying, do what you want to do, just don't hurt anyone in the process? You ever heard that saying? Right? We say it all the time, right? Like, just take care of yourself, be happy, just don't hurt anyone. You know why we have that? Why our culture says, but don't hurt anyone? Because we ultimately know, whenever you try and serve yourself and just do what makes you happy in your relationships and your friendships and all those areas, ultimately, you're going to hurt somebody. When you constantly put the gravitational pull towards yourself instead of others, you will hurt people. So we try and fix it by saying, so just do whatever you want. Just don't hurt others. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't live this life that says it's all about me. It's all about doing for me and somehow still love other people. You have to pick. You can't live in this middle ground is what Paul is saying. And he's saying, really, ultimately, we often choose option one. And it's killing us. And he, he makes such a strong point. He says, the acts of the flesh. He's like, when we live this way, when we do us, when we care about ourselves, he says, when, when we pursue our own gains, the results or the acts of what that happens is obvious. He says this. He gives us a big list. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Okay, now... When I read a list like that, okay, when Neil was reading earlier, you kind of, I mean, do you do what I do, which is kind of like go through the list and like, nope, nope, no, You can't do that, right? It's like, well, I don't have any idols in my home. Pastor, you can come check. Witchcraft, no, not me. Hatred, I don't like some people, but hate, no, I'm a lover, not a hater. Drunken orgies, can't remember the last time, right? Like you just kind of go through the list and you're like, no, no, I, this is not me, Paul, this is not me. Paul's not giving a checklist of what you should and should not do, and you're a good person if you haven't done these things. It's not the point of the lists you find in the Bible. They're not meant to be exhaustive, and if you don't find your name there, you're okay. Paul is saying, this is what happens. This is some of the results of people who live following their hearts, following their desires, following their flesh, following their sinful nature. You know what Paul's saying ultimately? He's saying when you do that, you fight for power, you try and control outcomes. That's why people worship idols and take care of part of witchcraft. 
you got relational tensions, you destroy community, hatred, discord, jealousy. That's all just broken community. You go to great lengths to satisfy the cravings and your, of your flesh and your soul, and you do things you never thought you'd do. That's ultimately what Paul's trying to say in this text. It's just a diagnosis of what's going on. What he's saying is, ultimately, when you exercise your freedom, I'm doing me, I'm taking care of me, I'm just doing what makes me happy. Paul's saying, when you do that, we enslave ourselves and we hurt others along the way. It's true, isn't it? When all we care about is ourselves, we enslave ourselves into the things and the pursuits that we have and we hurt others along the way. And Paul says, and if you do that, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, that you've chosen the trajectory of death. You've chosen the trajectory moving away from perfect community with God. It's not good. <laughs> Paul's just like over and over and over again, just diagnosing culture and saying, hey, hey, you want to do whatever makes you happy, go ahead. But he's like, we all know if we're gut level honest where it ends. And it's not a good thing. And you see it. You don't have to look at dictators across the globe. You see it in your life. You see it with your family. You see it with your kids, with your parents, with your spouse, with your teachers, with your boss. You see it everywhere. What Paul is saying is, listen, you want to change the mess in the world? You cannot simply follow the flesh. That something needs to flip the switch inside of us that moves us away from a gravitational pull towards self and move us towards a gravitational pull towards others. That that would transform the whole world, wouldn't it? If the mess inside of us somehow changed, wouldn't that be so different? Wouldn't wars be so different? Wouldn't countries relate to each other so differently? Wouldn't you relate to your family and friends so differently if that switch could be flipped and you say, okay, but Mark, Mark, week two, we're slaves to sin. It's just our gravitational pull. We're kind of stuck here. And I mean, apparently in the atonement though, we were freed from that, but I don't feel free. And so this is where Paul is saying, no, 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 no. There's a gift that was given to you in the atonement. When Jesus died for your sins, there's now a gift. It's the Holy Spirit. And that is how he addresses the mess in our lives. It's how he frees us from slavery. It's why Paul gives this whole diagnosis. And then verse 17, or verse 16, he then kind of comes to his thesis statement. He's like, so we don't want to live that way because we all know how that ends. And he says this, he says, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, you don't want to live that way? Here's the only antidote. Walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Bottom line, Paul is saying, is that the Spirit opposes our sinful nature. And if we want to see a changing in the mess in the world and ultimately a change inside of us, we must walk in step with the Spirit. To which you say, how do we walk in step with the Spirit? It's not where Paul goes yet. He wants to, he's just giving a diagnosis and kind of painting a picture and a vision of, I want you to want this, is kind of what Paul's doing here. But let me just pause there for a second. Just, just point out what may be obvious to some of you and maybe not so obvious to others of you. What Paul is saying is simply this, that if you follow the flesh and if you listen to your heart, you will never end up where you want to end up, where you want the world to be. That's why we're told to follow or walk in the Spirit. If you want to experience and hear the voice of God and experience his power in your life, to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, you have to know this one simple fact. The Holy Spirit is going to push you in the opposite direction of what you want. 
always. The Holy Spirit is going to, especially in the beginning, push you in the opposite direction of where you feel you ought to go until you acknowledge that your natural desires lead you to bite and devour people. Okay, it's, it's graphic language Paul's using. He's like, oh, let's just be honest about what's happening. Until you get to that place, you will never need help. And the Holy Spirit is called our helper. You'll never need help. It's like, as long as you think that you got it going on and you know what to do and your way is the right way and God is like a, you know, a vitamin that you add into your life to boost the way that you go, until you get that, you're never going to need help from the Holy Spirit and you're never going to experience him in your life. He'll continue to be with you because he came when you became a follower of Jesus and you will continue to ignore him and not experience his work in your life. A couple years ago, a friend of mine had some family visiting from Montreal. They're in their home in Toronto. Family left after dinner and was driving back to Montreal. They got back on the highway and they're heading, heading back to Quebec. And the daughter's in the back seat and she's like, I don't remember that building. I don't remember that flagpole. And she's kind of just shouting out. And they're just kind of like, what are you talking about? And just ignored her, ignored her, ignored her. And then my friends get a call four hours later. Hey, we're, we see American flags. We're at the Windsor-Detroit border. Four hours later, they get back. They've been on the road eight hours to get back to Toronto. They haven't made it anywhere near Montreal. And they're kind of retelling this story. And it's like, the whole time we were going the wrong direction and our daughter is telling us we're going the wrong direction, but we were so sure we were going the right way on the 401, we completely ignored everything that she was saying. We missed it completely. You will never, ever experience the power and the presence and the voice of God through the Holy Spirit in your life if you are ultimately convinced that you know the way and you know how it's done that until you come with this posture of God, teach me because I bite and devour people when I'm left alone for five minutes, you will never understand where God is leading you in your life. He'll continue to be ignored. Paul continues with his vision painting passage. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, I love this language, the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't say the acts again. Paul's not telling you what to do and not do, so please don't turn to this passage and say, you need to be more loving and kind to your kids because it's not what Paul is trying to do with this passage. There's other passages that you can do that with, okay? But not this one. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We hear that, and what do we do? We do the checklist thing again, right? Like, okay, right? We kind of like catching Pokemon. How many do I have, right? Like, do I have five out of nine? I passed, right? Like, I'm gentle, I'm not patient, but I'm kind most of the time. I'm loving to those who love me, right? Like, we just kind of go through, and it's like, how many did I get? Did, am I winning? Yeah, I got it. It's like, no, you, you miss what Paul's doing here, because he's not saying, this is what I want you to do, and this is how you know, but he's, he's doing something actually incredibly different. Number one is he's painting a vision of the exact opposite thing of what he says, what happens when we listen to our hearts. He says, when you follow and walk in step with the Spirit, he said, it addresses the mess. It looks completely different. Let me just unpack what this image tells us a little bit. Number one is that uh, often we kind of talk about this and we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. You know, maybe in Sunday school had to memorize the fruits of the Spirit and you have one of these little pictures. Remember these things, right? It was like, uh, right? So this is so wrong! It's not even in the Bible. Somebody says, it's not to say the fruits of the Spirit. It's like these fruit you're just trying to gather. It says the fruit, one. There's no S. Look in your Bible, okay? You think I have a bootleg Bible? Yours has it too. There's no S. It's one fruit. He's saying, listen, the one thing that pops up when the Holy Spirit in your life is this fruit. And it's all of these things working together. You may have some of these things. You got five out of nine. You got six out of nine. Bravo. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's something else completely different, but it's not the Holy Spirit. He says, this fruit, the one I'm describing, can be described with all of these qualities. 
All of a sudden, you just kind of pause, you're like, whoa, that's completely different. Because anybody can have some of these things, but it's totally different to have them all. You can have joy without self-control, though. I don't know, right? Some of us are like, no, I have joy when I'm in control, right? You have a few. I'm, I'm kind to people. I'm bubbly when I meet them, but long haul, I can't seem to keep friends because I'm not really all that faithful, right? It's like, well, you, you can pick and choose, but when you put them all together, it creates something totally different. I'm, I'm, I'm gentle unless you want me to be patient, and then I'm you should hear me when I call customer service, right? Like, pulling these things out individually is not mind-blowing. I'm sure we could find all these things if we took a poll in the audience. But when every single one of these things is working out perfectly, it is a totally different ballgame. It's a totally different fruit, and that's what Paul's saying. He's like, when the fruit of the Spirit, one fruit described in all these different ways, that's what happens when people walk in step with the Spirit. Then all of a sudden, you just take notice and you say, wow, that would be something. Because we don't see that in our world. That would be a complete transformation of human nature. That would begin to address the mess in our world. Let's be honest, all mess is relationship-driven. Ultimately, the core of all the mess in the world is relationship-driven. And can you imagine what relationships would look like if this was the fruit, if this was the result of having the Holy Spirit in our lives? It'd be mind-blowing. Paul's just painting an image. He's saying, isn't this what you want? Ultimately, whatever you believe, wherever you came from, wherever you grew up, isn't this what you want from life? Isn't this what you want in a spouse, in friends, in a boss, in a teacher, and in yourself? Isn't this what you want? He's like, you're never going to get it when you listen to your heart. You know that song, listen to your heart? Don't listen to your heart. This song's so wrong. Because when we listen to our heart, Paul's saying, listen, you just devour each other. You just bite and eat each other up and consume each other. He's like, but when you walk with the Spirit, it transforms us and it makes us other-centered, not self-centered. It's a full transformation of the mess in our world. Completely changes things. Paul's created this amazing diagnosis of our world. He says, don't you want this? He says, then walk in step with the Spirit, that Spirit that is in you. Just acknowledge the fact that what you want at the core of your being is not going to lead you where you want this world to go. You have to allow the Spirit to start moving in your life. You have to walk in the Spirit. Isn't that helpful? I mean, you could be here and not a church person. Isn't that so helpful? Because, I mean, everything you hate about the church and Christians, they're hypocrites, they're selfish, they're arrogant, they're prideful, you know, they've led so many atrocities in history. It's like, here's the amazing thing you'll find with all of those things. You will never find those, that fruit of the Spirit in any of those events that have drawn you away from Christ. Ever. You'll always find that missing. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Whatever title you go by, Christian, non-Christian, Paul is saying, no, 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 the thing that matters is that you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you've allowed his spirit to begin processing and leading you to new places. So we don't have time to now kind of go into a big, okay, so how does the Holy Spirit work, gifts of the Spirit, all that stuff. I know we, we kind of love that stuff. It's like, talk to us about gifts and tongues and all that. Here's another sermon for another day, text VJ, I don't know. But here's kind of a few observations on the Holy Spirit and, and maybe some ways in which you kind of maybe take a first step or a next step, and then we'll kind of close there. First of all, be very careful of an overemphasis of the Spirit, Okay a church, a pastor, whatever it is, where there's too, you know, your home group, there's too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit, be weary, okay? Because the New Testament talks a lot about the, New, about the Holy Spirit, but whenever it talks about the Holy Spirit, it talks about this idea of the Holy Spirit actually glorifies Jesus. So the more you're experiencing the Holy Spirit in your life, the more you should be crazy about Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. 
just how it goes, okay? So anytime there's just an overemphasis about the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, it's like, just, just be a little weary because the Spirit actually brings to life our view of Jesus and draws us closer to him, kind of like a hype man. Probably a bad example, but you get the point, okay? Se- second thing is so often we focus in on gifts, okay? And that's one of the really cool things. You can read up on that later. When the Holy Spirit comes, it brings the power, presence of Jesus, and each of us get unique gifts, okay? And some of them, I mean, we sometimes call them the weird stuff because there's some, some interesting things that happen, okay? Let me just say two things on that. Number one, we believe in all of them. Christian Missionary Alliance churches, we totally believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but let me just pause right there. We don't believe that they are evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit in some ways. The scriptures are very clear that when the Holy Spirit comes, it says people shared about Jesus and there was a moral change that's the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is good preaching. I could preach a great sermon. You could say, wow, you're so full of the Spirit and I could have never prayed and had the Holy Spirit fill me, okay? It says you want to know if the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Two things, you have a passion to share Jesus with other people and you've had a transformation in your moral life and it's a continual process. It says fruit, it's not instant, it's not abracadabra, it's a process, but you're seeing transformation long-term. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit working and speaking in your life. Okay, so a few thoughts on how do we walk in the Spirit. This is gonna be really quick, and so, but I want you to do is I wanna get your phones out. I'm letting you get your phones out, okay, for this last little bit. Get a pen and paper out if you're like that. That's kind of how I roll, okay? And we're going to go quick, but I bet you the Spirit's going to speak to you. I'm, I'm confident, okay? And it, it may not speak to you in this big, booming voice. Okay, like, oh. It might just be the way I always hear the Holy Spirit, which is, <clears throat> that's all I get. <clears throat> and we'll talk about that in a second, what I mean. But here, you'll, you'll know when you hear it, okay? So first of all, uh, some of you, you're like, I want the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You need to invite him in. Okay? Jesus is such a gentleman. He's not breaking down the door. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let me in? Will you invite me in? It says when you invite him in, then he comes. Some of you, that's the place that you're at. If you're kind of like, I, yeah, I just want to give my life over to him and invite him. I'll be here after. Tony, Pastor Tony will be here available. If that's your first step, that may be it. Others of you, it's actually not what you need to do, but what you need to not do. The scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit kind of like a flame. Lots of images. One of them is a flame, and it says you need to fan into flame the Holy Spirit. You don't want to quench the flame. You want to fan it into flame. And it actually says there's ways in which we quiet or quench or turn the volume down on the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, you kind of boil it down to sin. When we constantly, knowingly choose to go the way that our hearts desire, our flesh desires, we quench and silence the Holy Spirit. So one of the number one things you can do is to stop being disobedient and to stop sinning. Okay, well, which one is it? Okay, you don't even need me to list anything. You don't need another pastor to tell you. You don't need a verse. You actually know it. It actually came to mind. A person came to mind. A relationship came to mind. A habit came to mind. A website came to mind. A substance just came to mind. That's the thing. Write it down right now. That was the spirit just speaking, okay? I'm telling you. It's that simple, okay? Now you're like, well, it's not that simple. I, I can't stop. Okay, then start praying about it. Maybe your first step is to tell someone and ask them to journey alongside you and pray. But as long as you continue to head in the opposite direction, you're silencing and quenching the Holy Spirit, okay? Some things we can do to kind of throw fuel or fan the flame into being in our lives really, really quick here. Um, let's go through them. Number one is simply this. You need to invite him and pray for it. The Holy Spirit is constantly talked about someone who comes and fills. Yes, he's there, but the level of influence kind of goes up and down like waves. And we are actually told and modeled to pray and invite him in. Paul in the Ephesians, he says, I pray that you may experience the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's praying for this church. He says, that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You ever pray that prayer? Kind of, you know, you're opening up your Bible and you're just like, God, would you enlighten 
the eyes of my heart. Would you help me understand? The Spirit is one who helps us understand and makes much of Jesus. It's how he works. Would you do that when you kind of come in on Sunday mornings? You know, just maybe come a few minutes early and just take a few moments and pray and just say, Spirit, we're going to have some amazing music. We're going to have the Word of God taught to us. Would you speak to me clearly? Would you do that? Would you just, the first step may just simply be inviting him into your life. Another thing you may do is you may spend time actually listening. You know, scriptures say that God's voice is often booming and loud. And other times with Elijah, it's this still, small, quiet voice. I told you, you know, for me, I don't get much more than, <clears throat> and I'm about to do something and I just kind of get this, <clears throat> and I'm like, ah. And you say, well, how do, how do you know it's the Spirit? How do you know it's the Spirit? It's like, well, let me, let me tell you how you know it's the Spirit. Because it's usually leading you to do something that you don't want to do. It's saying, go say sorry to that person. It's saying, get off your butt and go serve them. It's saying, hey, what if you brought up a conversation about Jesus with them? It's leading you to the way that you don't want to go. And so simply a great test that you can do is, does it go against Scripture? Does it do what I seem to be commanded to do in Scripture? And will it lead me to be more of the fruit of the Spirit? And it's probably God's voice. And for me, it's simply, <clears throat> it's just how it goes. Uh, others of you, you kind of, you actually need to make room in your life to hear the Holy Spirit. For you, fanning the flame into your life is actually removing obstacles in your life. You, you just need, you know, one of the six activities that your kids are involved in to be dropped off. I don't, I don't know what it is, but you know. You need to maybe work a few hours less. You need to carve a little bit more time. You need to watch a little less TV. Whatever it is, you just you need to make a bit more space, a little bit more time to actually hear from God and to have that conversation, um, whatever it may be. You need to make space to kind of sit with other people who love Jesus and want to hear his voice. That's why home groups are so awesome. Our, our home group this week, we're just talking about, hey, what do you hear God sense, you know, sense God saying in your life? It's an amazing conversation to have. My, my wife and I, we've been, we've been trying to do that Beyond Belief study together. Yeah, together. We are, we are so behind because we try to do it together. When are we ever together? So, but we're loving it. And so when we do do it, you know, our kids asleep and we kind of go through it. And then we just, I mean, we haven't watched TV in so long because when we do that, it's just like, huh. And, and then we just kind of pause like, what, what do you sense God saying through that passage we just read? And we just, it's just amazing conversation. We're kind of testing what we're saying. Do you, what, do you, what do you sense? What do you sense? And then, you know, talking about other things in our life. And then sometimes, here's maybe a simple prayer. This is so simple. You can write this down. God, what do you think about it? God, what do you think about it? God, what do you think about it? That is such an amazing invitation for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Don't be surprised if you have a dream. Don't be surprised if a scripture passage comes to mind. Don't be surprised if something Pastor Vijay said five years ago comes to mind. Okay, it's incredible. When you open up and leave room for the still small voice of God, he speaks in so many different ways. His power and presence is there. Will we listen? The answer is it is there. And it is the answer to the mess in the world. And like a loving, heavenly Father, God sends his Spirit to be with us in the midst of the mess and to begin transforming us. I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and I just want to pray with you before we continue on in worship. God, thank you so much. I don't think there's a day that goes by that I don't wake up and think in some way as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, as a neighbor, as a human being, there's always a way in which I need help with something. And you tell us so clearly that you have sent us an advocate and a helper. Would you create a longing and a desire in our hearts to so desperately want to hear 
and experience the power of your Holy Spirit. That we would, in whatever way you have spoken or nudged or prompted us today, be obedient and make room to fan into flame the power of the Holy Spirit. We sing now in response. Sorry. Uh, one of the things we do here at Upper Room, which is, I love it, it's called a benediction. If you're new, it's simply two words put together, benedicte, to speak good words, to speak blessing, and it's my privilege to do that for you. If, if this doesn't trip out your weird meter, put your hands out. It's just kind of this posture of saying, God, I just want to receive whatever you have for me. I just want to bless you this week with two things, stillness to hear his voice and action to move when you do.